You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, it's Mella, and we're going to talk about green witchcraft today. Keep in mind that I'm not advocating any certain tradition. Instead, we're going to examine what being a green witch might look like, coming at it from different paths and traditions. In fact, I've lined up quite a few great interviews this month to follow along the green witch theme, including an herbalist, Deborah Cardi, a Scottish mystic, Jane Hill, and a musician named Ermansul coming to us from Hawaii, discussing not only his music, but what it was like shifting from living as a witch in the desert to living as a witch in the green of Hawaii. I also think you're going to love the interview with Chelsea Quint this month, because we are going to discuss how to use your intuition in your rituals and spells. So I'm going to ask you, do you think you're a green witch? So here's some ideas to think about to see if you can answer that question. Do you often collect bits of nature like shells and twigs and stones and feathers and flowers, and you might even use them on your altar? Do you love making your own ritual tools from found objects in nature and often planning for the energies contained within them? Are you an animal and or environmental activist? Do you consider the source of objects and bring awareness regarding ethically sourced minerals, endangered herbs, and other such environmental impacts? Do you work with animal guides and plant spirits? Do you believe plants have their own spirits and energies? Do you love spending time hiking or walking in parks and gardens? Do you feel in tune with nature's cycles and rhythms? Do you ask permission from plants or animals that you wish to partner with? Do you say thank you to them and leave them offerings when you're harvesting herbs or calling upon animal spirits? Do you have a deep reverence for and a lasting bond with nature and it is in nature that you find your sacred space? Do you get energized and healed by being in nature? Do you have a collection of herbs and or essential oils that you've either bought or grown yourself? Or maybe you're drawn in some way to the earth element, which may show by anything from having a habit of walking barefoot on the ground to needing plants around your home to the types of objects that you're drawn to in your practice and in your life. Or are you deeply affected by the weather and may even be drawn to weather magic? How many of those could you tick off? Pretty much every single one of them for me. I deeply recognize myself as a green witch. I think when you hear the term green witchcraft, you can really get an idea of what that might encompass. Green is traditionally associated with nature, the green of the grass and leaves on the trees. Now, while a green witch doesn't have to actually grow plants and herbs themselves, it usually is used to describe a witch that uses plants and herbs in their craft in some way. So whether they're using them medicinally for cooking or even in their spell work, 
herbs and plants are important to them, I think it's really important to note that you can be a green witch even if you do not have an extensive garden or even any garden because some people might just choose to buy the herbs or the plants that they're going to be using. And I think that green witchcraft can even extend to those of us that just feel really super attuned to nature and maybe even land spirits and other nature spirits. I talk to the trees, the rocks beneath me, my plants, the wind, and they all talk back to me. I'm in communion with the natural world around me. A green witch might be accompanied by all manner of other labels and titles like cottage witch, eclectic witch, kitchen witch, garden witch, a traditionalist, many others as well. You can be a green witch and have lots of other interests as well. And you don't have to live in the country to be a green witch. You can live in the most crowded of urban areas and still be a green witch. A green witch is adaptable and they will find a connection with nature regardless of where they are. Oh, our mother the earth, blessed is your name. Blessed are your fields and forests, your rocks and mountains, your grasses and trees and flowers and every green and growing thing. Blessed are your streams and lakes and rivers, the oceans where our life began, and all your waters that sustain our bodies and refresh our souls. Blessed is the air we breathe, your atmosphere that surrounds us and binds us to every living thing. Blessed are all the creatures who walk along your surface or swim in your waters or fly through your air, for they are all our relatives. Blessed are all the people who share this planet for we are all one family and the same spirit moves through us all. Blessed is the sun, our day star, bringer of morning and the heat of summer, giver of life and light. Blessed is the moon, our night lamp, ruler of the tides, protector of all women and guardian of our dreams. Blessed are the stars and planets, the time keepers, who fill our nights with beauty and our hearts with awe. O great spirit whose voice we hear in the wind and whose face we see in the morning sun, blessed is your name. Help us to remember that you are everywhere and teach us the way of peace. By Helen Weaver. In the book Earth Prayers from Around the World, 365 Prayers, Poems, and Invocations for Honoring the Earth. are integral to the Green Witch, as we've noted. There are so many books and courses and websites and resources out there for someone that's interested in herbalism. I personally recommend Rosemary Gladstar. She's got an amazing YouTube series where you can learn so many herbal remedies and information. She has a company that you can buy herbs from, and it's her fire cider recipe and onion honey cough syrup recipe that I use in my own practice among other things. I also really like the Herbal Jedi on YouTube. I, I love that fella. I think his name is Yarrow. 
And each of his episodes looks at one herb in particular, and he teaches you how to find it, where to find it, and how it's used. And those are free on YouTube. An important facet of green witchcraft is really getting to know the natural world where you live. For a green witch, that is going to be of great importance. For someone who isn't really a green witch, but they may still use herbs for their magic or even dabble in herbalism, that may not be important to them. But for a green witch, their personal natural world is going to be exceptionally important. You're going to want to learn about native plants in your area and make friends with the trees and plants and herbs and flowers in your area. There is a deep relationship with the land in your area. You also become highly attuned to the seasons there. Y'all know I'm from the South, South Carolina to be exact, zone 8B, I believe. And it rarely snows here. Maybe every once in a while, we'll get a day of snow or ice in February. So for me, snow and ice magic isn't really a part of my craft. I'm a witch of the deep south and my viewpoint on seasonal changes is different because of that. As opposed to someone that is, you know, maybe living out west in the desert or up north where they experience months of snow and ice. As well, living in the Northern Hemisphere, I attune to the seasons and months as I experience them. I may be celebrating winter solstice when a green witch in Australia is celebrating summer solstice, and we both feel connected to that energy just fine, even if it's different. Gardening and plants are very important to me, and here in my new house, I have three acres of land of my own. I'm able to expand and plant a lot more things that I couldn't on the half acre closer to town where we raised our children for many years. I've planted peach and apple, pear and plum trees, blueberries and elderberry tree, eucalyptus. I really love rosemary. It's one of the first things I planted here. And there are a lot around my property. I was so proud of my mullen last year. I hope it does well again this year because my goats got out and ate it this past winter. I've got two live oaks that I planted in my front yard when we first moved in. I rescued those from a Kmart and that gave rise to our property's name and we call our land Alwyn Oaks. And over the past month or two, I've been working on a raised bed garden near the pasture and I'm gonna have various Tomatoes, radishes, edible flowers, herbs, noodle beans, spring peas, peppers, onions, carrots, all sorts of things. And I'm even going to try my hand at loofah gourds again. If y'all don't know, those loofah sponges that you use in the bath, in the shower, they are grown as a gourd. They did not do well last year, so I'm trying again this year, doing things a little bit differently. I started most of my plants as seeds this year inside the house. That was quite a challenge. I'm very happy with how most of that came out. When I get the garden going, I have to make a little video for my Facebook and YouTube channel so y'all can see it because it brings me so much joy as a green witch. Mullen is a beautiful herb, and in The Garden Witch's Herbal by Ellen Dugan, 
There is a spell in here to banish astral nasties using mullen. And she talks about the flowers of mullen blooming in the second year. And also that if you don't have graveyard dirt for any spell that calls for it, you can use dried mullen leaves. So this wild herb, which I've actually put in my garden, is a strong protection against evil, negativity, bad mojo, and astral nasties. And what she means by astral nasties are those random elementals and spirits and thought forms that hang around and cause grief. And they might be created by you, or maybe not. So if you want them gone, here's what she says to do. This spell starts with, with Mullen's magic power, I ward and protect me. I now push away all spirits, evil and astral nasties with a strong influence of Saturn. This will never occur. By the element of fire, I banish you forever. And then you close your spell with these lines. This protective wildflower spell is spun from the heart, worked for the good of all with a green witch's art. A green witch who has some type of garden might consider the elements in the design of the garden. In Garden Witches Herbal by Ellen Dugan, she talks about incorporating earth, air, fire, water, and spirit in one's garden. The ground beneath you, the plants themselves, that's the earth in your garden. The air, you, you feel it in the breeze or the, the birds in the air and the bees buzzing around your garden. The sun shining upon you in the garden can represent fire and water is represented by, by even something as simple as the rain falling or the hose that you use to water the garden. Or maybe you incorporate a bird bath or a fountain. And spirit is found in the nature spirits that frequent your garden and the spiritual essence in everything that makes up the area, including you and your connection to the divine. We connect with magic in the garden. We connect with Gaia, Mother Earth, the energy of the divine aspects of the sun and moon and stars. It's wild magic, y'all. Wild energy. And I don't care if you are smack in the city, you can find wild magic. I was once walking downtown, all cement and glass and metal, and there in the crack in the sidewalk by the road, which was full of cars, was a dandelion growing just as strong as can be right out of that crack in the cement. It's the only green I could see in that area. It was amazing. That was wild magic of nature right there in the city. But most people probably didn't even notice as they walked by. The book Green Witchcraft from Anne Morla gives a list of herbs that would be great to be found in an all-around versatile witch's garden. Agrimony, basil, birch, Catnip, sucafoil, coriander, dill, feverfew, heather, lavender, lovage, mint, nasturtium, 
rose, sage, tansy, woodruff, angelica, bay, broom, chamomile, coltsfoot, dandelion, garlic, hops, lemon balm, marigold, mugwort, oregano, rosemary, St. John's wort, tarragon, vervain, wormwood, burdock, chives, comfrey, fennel, hyssop, lemon verbena, marjoram, mullen, parsley, rue, savory, thyme, valerian, yarrow, to name a few. How many of those do you have in your garden? love to work with essential oils and flower essences in both my healing work as well as my magical practice. I use them for herbal remedies and for magical practice such as spells and rituals. I had to take classes in school regarding the basics of aromatherapy and essential oils as well as flower essences, but I'm not an expert on either of those things. I really caution y'all about willy-nilly use of essential oils without doing your homework or finding someone that is certified and trained to give advice. And no, that isn't always your local MLM essential oil seller. Y'all don't hate me for saying that now. I just feel like there are, there's way too many people out there who are not trained and qualified to be telling people to ingest essential oils. That's what I have a problem with, ingestion of essential oils. Uh, that is dangerous. I repeat, don't let anyone to tell you to ingest essential oils on a, a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis that is not a trained and experienced herbalist, a physician, a healthcare practitioner. Yes, Essential oils are powerful and can change your life, but you absolutely need someone that knows what they're doing if you are involved in ingesting essential oils. And your local green witch is not always that person. So you really do need to be aware of that. Ingesting essential oils for short periods of time under the observation of a trained practitioner can be miraculous. It can be used to heal so many things. But for the regular person out there, if you don't have someone that is a trained practitioner, then stick to aromatherapy or using it outside of the body, which can also be very miraculous. You can damage your liver, among other internal organs, if you aren't careful. And as well, not all essential oils are safe to be used anytime. Some re react to sunlight. You rub that on your skin and go outside in the sun and you will be burned. Like a lot of the citrus oils. Most oils need a carrier oil used with them. Lavender is one that I know right off that can be used neat, which means you don't need a carrier oil. This is really a soapbox that I get on a lot and I wanted to take this opportunity in, in the green witchcraft um, podcast episode to talk about this because I feel so strongly about it. I feel like people are really harming themselves because they are not really um, taking it seriously. And essential oils 
are a serious medicinal um, ingredient. And so we have to look at it that way. Just, I encourage you to do your research. Just because it's from a plant doesn't make it safe across the board. I mean, poison ivy is a plant too, but you go rub, rub that all over you and y'all gonna regret that. The Beltane Blessings Anointing Oil from Blackthorn's Botanical Magic by Amy Blackthorn. You can use this to celebrate May Day Festival, which is Beltane. You can use it to bless and purify anyone entering sacred space who's not allergic to the ingredients. It's always good on your bottle to write out every ingredient that's in any of your oil blends or anything else that you're doing. So this anointing oil calls for five drops of lavender essential oil for love, health, and peace. Five drops of patchouli essential oil for energy, sex, aphrodisiac, and grounding. And five drops of tangerine essential oil for physical energy, joy, and purification. It also calls for a quarter cup of carrier oil. Blend all your essential oils in a glass or non-reactive bowl. Add carrier oil and mix well. And store in a glass bottle. I like storing my oils in amber or blue glass bottles. I think those work very well. This would be great, as I said, for blessing and purifying people, or even blessing and purifying your altar or your space for Beltane. Flower essences are different. They are homeopathic and extremely safe. Homeopathy is about the transference of energy. So for instance, I make flower essences by setting a bowl of spring water out in the sunlight for three or four hours with flower petals from plants I've identified absolutely as safe floating on the surface of the water. This is called the menstruum. Once the time has passed, the energy of that flower has transferred into the spring water. I take it inside and strain out the flowers, leaving the mother essence behind. I bottle it up in amber or blue bottles with brandy as a stabilizer. If you don't want to use alcohol, you can use apple cider vinegar or glycerin, but you will have to store it in the refrigerator if you don't use alcohol. You label it as the mother the ingredients inside of it, uh, date it, and then use that mother bottle to create stock bottles, which are smaller bottles that you'll only put three to ten drops from the mother essence into, along with half spring water and half brandy. The stock bottle is what I use in my practice. Uh, it's what I use with other people. I've put drops on people's tongues during rituals. I've put drops on my own tongue for several weeks just to work through uh, some things that have to deal with the energy. I've used it to cleanse the aura or even the area that I've been in. I'll drop some on my palms and rub my hands together and just get that energy going and use it to cleanse. I love using flower essences, especially since they're so safe, yet they are powerful 
I've also made essences from flowers just by sitting the flowers beside the water and allowing their energy to transfer. This is great if you aren't sure the safety of the flowers. So my foxglove mother was created in this, in this way. I think green witches may really connect to flower essences. I know I did. Because you're transferring the energy and the magic from a flower into something that you can then use in your own healing and magical practice. I've got mother bottles for French marigold, foxglove, and carnation on my herbal shelves right now that I made. If you don't want to make your own, I recommend looking into box flower remedies. Dr. Edward Bach started making the first flower essences in the 1930s, and you can still buy Bach Remedies made in the same way today. And Bach Remedies even offers training to teach you how to make the Bach style of flower essences. I also love Desert Alchemy Flower Essences, which is the brand that I used in school. Their Crisis Desert Emergency Formula, I highly recommend that. It has been just a wonderful energy that I've even used in my own life. I also really love the Lotus Way Company and their flower essences. I will link to all of these in the show notes. I really appreciate y'all being here as we just kind of go over some things about green witchcraft. We've got a whole month of wonderful things. I'll have another episode where I'll be talking about some things and I'm even going to have something called Broom Talk. And it's going to be a live stream on Facebook and YouTube where we're going to talk about green witchcraft, a a bunch of witches together, just having a chat about it. So you might want to watch for that. Follow Bell Book and Candle on Facebook to find out about that. It's going to be a really fun, fun thing to do. But I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you listening to the show. Are you a green witch? I'd love to find out. I'd love for you to comment or send me a message. What do you do as a green witch? What are some of your favorite recipes? What are your favorite herbs and plants to grow? Or or what companies do you use to buy your herbs and plants and, and essences and things from? I would love to hear all of that. So thank you again. Y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.